everyone, Adam here again, and let's continue to dive in. So we have the 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 leader of God's people, burdened in his heart, uh, confronts the tyrannical king, gets allowed resources and access to to lead his the people out of exile, uh, rebuild the city of God, rebuild the temple. They face intense opposition. Um, the, the people have returned. The city of God is filling up because the wall is repaired and now they can be safe. And now it is time for the culminating moment. This is why they did this, so that the worship of God could be restored amongst the people of God and the promises of God could be realized. Today we're talking about them being friends in worship. Friends in worship. See, the worship of God is the highest priority of the community of God, or at least it should be. For 140 years, it was not. For many years, on and off, story after story, this king was horrible. They worshiped other gods there. They did other things here. But ultimately, the community is highest priority, right? It's love God. There shall be no other gods before you but me. That's, that is, that is who our God is. He is the only God. And so we worship him alone. And so the worship um, of God is the highest priority from his people. And here we have some interesting folks, two incredible leaders who are coming together as friends in worship. And so let's read it. So uh, this is Nehemiah chapter 8, starting verse 1. And all the people gathered as uh, one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses so that the Lord had um, of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from facing, uh, he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and the women and those who could understand. And all the ears and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Okay. Um, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made uh, for the purpose. All right. So here we go. Two guys, two great leaders, right? One, Nehemiah. Two, Ezra. And actually the book just before Nehemiah is the book of Ezra where you can get more of that journey. And so I would... Uh, I would recommend to you the book of Ezra since we are in Nehemiah. Great book. Go for it. <coughs> Read it up. And here we are. Um, Nehemiah is the guy who builds the platform, right? He, um, he uh, does the work. He's the builder, the strategic planner, the supply chain manager. He liaisons with the government, um, all that stuff. But Ezra, Ezra is the pastor, He's the preacher. He's the church planter. He organizes the band and the worship team and the prayer team um, and the connections team and all those, those folks so that the worship of God can happen amongst the people of God. So Nehemiah builds the platform for Ezra to stand on to bring the word of God. And there's no, they don't, they, they don't compete with each other. They build each other up. Nehemiah has a greater mission than just building the walls. He wants to see the worship of God restored to the people of God in the city. So they don't compete. 
to do that. They build one another up. Now, Ezra here is a preacher. I'm still finding my footing as a preacher. Hopefully, you're still listening. <clears throat> but Ezra, uh, he stood on the wooden platform made from, and beside him, all these folks. Uh, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above <clears throat> all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, and so on. Actually, um, the point that I want to give is it talks about how long he preached for it later, later on here. And I will say, uh, how long do you think? Here's a question for you. How long do you think is a long sermon? So uh, for the past few videos, I think most of the Nehemiah series, they've been around half an hour. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll go a little over, do 35 minutes. I think one of the worst offenders was 45 minutes. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so what do you think is a long sermon? Take 10 seconds. Talk amongst yourselves. What, what's, how long is too long? Is 30 minutes even too long? Maybe 30 minutes of this guy is too long. <laughs> how about 40? Who thinks in your group, put up your hand, is one hour too long? You know, an hour and a half, is that too long of a sermon? Anybody have not put their arm up yet? Is two hours too long? Did that make you put your hand up? Well, here, let's see. How long did Ezra, is Ezra preach for? We'll get to it as we go through. <clears throat> um, but he preaches for six hours. Six Six hours. Is that too long? And guess what? The people stood. Right? The people stood for six hours. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Masahiah on his right hand, and Pediah, Mishael, Milkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, Meshulam on his left hand. They stood in front of all the people. They opened it and all the people stood. They were standing. The whole sermon, six hours. You at least get to sit on a nice couch. At my house, there's a whole bunch of people on the couch, a bunch of people with pillows on the floor, some people in the back sitting on benches. These people, they stood the whole time. <clears throat> and he preached the entire Pentateuch, the whole first five books of the Bible, the whole story here, right? <clears throat> that's a long sermon. And that's a lot of content to get through. And here's something that we should understand. The reason there was such intense opposition was because the enemies of God want to prevent the preaching of the word of God. They want to prevent the people of God from hearing God's voice and submitting to God's law. That's why there was such intense opposition. They want to stop this moment. They want to stop us from being friends in worshiping God. See, some churches, they don't teach from the Bible, teach from good ideas, feeling, the latest cultural zeitgeist, whatever. Or let's say 
You have a Christian who does identify with a church that does teach the Bible. Well, they only go like once a month, whenever they feel like it, when they're not doing other things, right? They don't go to receive the teaching of the Bible. So some churches don't teach the Bible and some Christians don't go to church to receive the word of God. In verse five here, we see that they built for him. He stood on a platform. Okay. And it's raised above all the people. Why is that important? Because it's to show that the word of God is above the people of God. It's over the people of God. And you, us, me, we're always going to have an option. Are we going to put ourselves over the word of God? Or are we going to put the word of God over ourselves? The battle against Nehemiah and the people building the city is ultimately to prevent this very moment. And it's because moments matter. Moments really matter. Okay. People work really hard to create special moments for you to enjoy. Whether that's at a restaurant or at... um, a recreational facility, or just like a family time, right? It's easy to just like blunder in, do whatever, do your own thing, and consume the thing that you think you're there for, and and not pause, uh, push away all the other stuff in your life, and just be fully present right here in that moment that is being created for you. And I'll just say this about that. Um, In order to fully participate in a moment that's being created for you, you have to submit to the moment and you have to submit to the authority in that moment for the beautiful thing to happen. Because generally, that's the goal, is for something beautiful to happen, right? Now I get we're people and we're corrupt and we do things that are ulterior to that. But even in those situations, God is doing something above that and wants you to see the beautiful thing in that moment, which is why we pray without ceasing, so we can be fully present in every moment. So be present, trust the leaders have good intentions for you, and look for the beauty God's people have a choice right here in this moment to do that. And those moments will often come reading the scriptures. If you submit to the scripture, submit to the moment of reading the scripture, something beautiful can happen. So for me, um, I was in Australia. I made a bunch of new friends at this uh, this church and they all left on a missions trip. So here I was on the other side of the planet alone by myself and said, well, I guess I'll read this thing. It seems to be a big deal to a lot of people. And so let's go for it. Uh, Thankfully, we're in the city and people are getting saved and taken care of. Thanks for the fire alarm. Go help those folks. And God spoke to me in a moment as the Bible, the word of God was open and being received God spoke to me in a moment and that changed everything because I was 
there for that moment. I was fully in it with what God was doing. And that was just a beautiful thing of grace, right? That was the Holy Spirit working in my heart and opening me up to the moment. And over the course of three weeks, while all my friends were away on a mission trip in India, I read the whole New Testament. I submitted myself to over 40 hours of Bible teaching. I have, I have notebooks and notebooks of notes. Just, I need to learn what this thing is. And God was so tangibly present in every moment. I was, just, I was weeping like a baby. God was convicting me of sin. God was changing my heart, transforming and renewing my mind so that I could think differently and feel differently. It was just like really intense three-week time, right? But the goal for the Christian is actually for that to be our whole life. But we have to be present in every moment for that to be able to happen. Always learning, always looking for the fingerprints of God on all things, always present in the beautiful thing being orchestrated around us. I hope you, like me, can receive the grace of God in order to read the word. And there are many ways in which that comes. We have physical copies of the word of God, thankfully, to the printing press that changed everything. And then the internet, which gives us digital copies of the word of God. So our problem our problem with receiving God's word and, the, and the, our problem with becoming friends in worship together, it's not access, right? It's not accessibility of the word of God. It's not accessibility of church services or worship services. It's not accessibility. That, that's not the problem. Our problem is desire. The true desires of our heart. It's, this is always going to be the battle. What do you desire? What do you want? What do you yearn for? Because what you want, what you desire, you'll always move towards. You're always going to move. We're creatures that aim, right? And you can tell what I'm aiming at by what I'm looking at. So right now I'm aiming at you because I'm looking at camera lens here because I'm aiming at you. I'm talking to you. I'm engaged with you. If I was out there the whole time, you know I'm not focused on you. I'm not thinking about you. This is why they say active listeners make eye contact, right? Active listeners affirm what's being said, that they're listening. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. Right? They're aimed at it. They're in the moment, fully present. Whereas you're not. You don't have a desire to be. And I can tell just by looking at you, right? Because what you do, you always move towards. Just like in a marriage, you can see there are signs in marriage, right? Rolling of the eyes. Say rolling of the eyes is one of the number one predictors of divorce, right? You don't have a desire for that person. You actually have a disgust for that person that you're married to. So you're not, you don't desire to move towards each other. Probably in a sexless marriage, there's no intimacy. There's no desire. Likewise, a wordless Christian, a wordless Christian is because there's no desire from them. No desire. 
You don't read the Bible because you don't want to. So I do want to, I just don't have the time. No, you don't want to. And changing that starts by admitting that. What we'll see here actually, and hopefully this compels you to change that, is that when you're submitted to a moment, actually it can be fun. Like worship can be fun. Let's like, and worship can be interactive, right? Like look, look in here, right? Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God and the people all answered, right? So he's up there, he's on the platform, he's, he's starting to preach, he's blessing the Lord, bless you, Jesus, God, you are good. God, we're waiting for the Messiah. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for restoring your people. You're so holy and amazing and providential and provisional. You're just, oh, you're Jehovah Jireh, thank you. And the people answered, amen, amen, right? Lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Oh, amen, amen. You see it? Worship can be fun. Submit to the moment. And worship can be fun. It can be interactive. Why don't you practice with me right now? Let's take, let's try this. Okay, so we've got to... We gotta wake up, wake up, get that coffee. Okay, I want you to say amen, amen with me. So, God is good. Amen, amen. Let's try it again. God is good. Amen, amen. There you go. <laughs> Hopefully, you can laugh and want to laugh at me for doing silly things. All right. <clears throat> now, the people raised their hand. Let's touch on this for a minute, right? See, I started in a dead, dying Baptist church, right? It was like 30 white-haired ladies in the very front, you know, all grandma types, and a young, young pastor trying to rejuvenate this old, dying church, you know? And when I went to Australia, I went to the other side of the world and had this really intense encounter with Jesus. Um, I was in like a charismaniac church. Like, they were like, shit about a Honda, about a Honda, Mitsubishi, woo! Right? Flopping around on the ground, doing all this crazy stuff. <clears throat> It was like two, it was like whiplash. It was like, whoa, you guys are very different and I don't understand why. Right? Some of you, because you grew up in this kind of dichotomy, there's all sorts of weird fights and arguments that occur between why people do different things, right? Let's try and push all that aside for a second, right? And let's just talk about expression. You, how you carry yourself, how you express yourself, how you present yourself to the world and how you present to the world your desire, okay? The people here were comfortable, like, and look, they had none of this background. 141 years, no worship services, okay? They didn't know what to do. This is what they did. Amen, amen. Some of you struggle to express yourself to God, and you gotta sort that out. It's okay, he's there. He loves you. He's your daddy. Right? We're like my little girl. Daddy, daddy. I came home the other day. Both of them. Both of them. They saw me. You know, I see their heads pop up from the kitchen. <gasps> Daddy's home. <gasps> daddy, daddy. They come running down the hall. Daddy, daddy's home. Yeah, oh, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. It was, oh, it's one of the most beautiful things. You just want one on one arm, one on the other. Daddy, daddy. Yes, I just love you. And they're like jumping. They're trying to get more on me than they already are. You know? Some of you have trouble expressing yourself to your heavenly father. 
And I'm sorry for what happened to you to make you want to retract your desire, retract your expression. What made you feel chained and unable to express yourself to a father who loves you and a father in whom you have perfect freedom and no condemnation. I'm so sorry. Let Jesus heal that in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit heal that in your heart. See, because I'm not condemning you for not raising your hands. I'm not doing that. But we need to know what our body says about our heart. What our body says about our heart. We need to have childlike faith. See, some of us, we're so attached to the belief that money gives us comfort and everything we need and all. So you drag yourself out of bed, you fill your body with caffeine just to wake up, get your caffeine injection of the day. That's the only way to motivate you to force yourself to go to work at a job you hate so that you can buy things that you don't need to impress people that you don't even like. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? This is not the Christian life. That's not what our body was meant to do. Some of you Christians, this is your posture in worship. Right? I see it. Right? We do it right in front of each other. You, you can't hide. Because it's, it's just what you want. It's your desire. Some of you are, I see you. Online shopping on your phone, checking Instagram, how many likes did I get? Right? But we say with our mouth, we say with our mouth that we want Jesus. Do we though? It's not what our body's doing. This is a, this is a disintegration. We're, we're not a person of integrity, right? So it's not like you're not held together in unity and strength, right? So you're, you're one thing and another thing. I love Jesus, but I'd rather, huh? What did he say? Hmm. Right? It's not in integrity. Some, some would say that the lack of integrity, because um, this is a mind-body connection, is actually a lack of intelligence. Like, you can't understand that disintegration. You can't even see that disintegration so they call it a lack of intelligence, right? When you have major discordance between major areas of your life, call it disintegrated or unintelligent, right? You're kind of two different people. The Bible calls it double-minded, double-minded. And you know what? Some of you guys are still new and it's fine. You're still trying to figure it out. We are actually increasingly, you know, a church of people who... Um, 
who are, are new and or, or non-Christians and we're just trying to explore it, right? Um, and, our, and our whole life actually, like something that actually led me to Jesus was realizing my whole life was full of discord, of disintegration. My whole life was full of, ah, oh, just be a good person. But I wasn't, oh, life, you know, just, just go be happy. But I wasn't making other people happy or myself happy, right? Like it, nothing was watertight. It was so, it had no structural integrity. And it was just my worldview it was just emptying out through the seams in the bottom of the bucket. And I became a new Christian, right? And so that might be where you're at. You're like, I'm still new, you know? Well, let me give you some hope. So are they, right? This is their first church service in 141 years. They've never been to church before. They've never been, you know? They haven't ever been able to worship God and submit themselves to the preaching of the word of God. <clears throat> and there's their reaction. They submit themselves to a six-hour sermon. And amen, amen, amen. So what happens? So the word is preached <clears throat> to all these people who've never been to church before. And they distribute leaders amongst all those people. People got to ask questions, right? They wanted them to clearly understand, right? Ezra blessed the Lord and all the people answered, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also... All these people, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jemin, Akub, uh, Jebethai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites. Okay, and then a whole team of folks, right? They helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they stayed at church after and they dug deeper. Did the sermon, did the big preach, and they stayed there. They dug deeper. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Okay? <clears throat> so people got to ask questions. They got to figure it out. They all respond in worship. <clears throat> um, they started to understand that, that uh, God had been with them despite their struggle. They started to understand that God had protected them despite all the threats. They started to understand that um, God had provided for them despite the disparity and the lack. They started understand that God had more for them than just what they didn't have. And it came out of a place they didn't even expect. They started to understand that God is actually going to use them to bring about the coming Messiah, the promise to bless all the nations so that all can be opened up to reconciliation with the loving Father, reconnected to their true identity, purpose, meaning. They're excited, they're convicted, and they're ready to worship. And guess what? This can be you too, even if you're new. And I know you have questions. Let your leaders help you work through them. Ask, just ask. Your leaders would love to teach you the Bible. They would love to help integrate your worldview so you're not a leaky bucket. They would love to be your friends in worship. All right. So people across the city started to submit to the teaching of the word. We got local le uh, leaders distributed across the city to help people figure it out and understand the teaching. 
that's why most churches have their Sunday service and their small groups and then their Bible studies. And um, we kind of combine, we've been trying to combine the two together, right? So you do a quick preach with me, then you meet your R3 leader to unpack and understand um, so that the rest of the week, instead of taking up a whole separate night of the week for another, you know, Bible study or small group time or community night or whatever, or worship night or a prayer night, you can go engage the neighborhood the rest of the week. So one week worship, um, and discipleship, right? We call it up and in. The rest of the week is for going out, the healthy rhythms of Christian life, up and out. Um, And you know what? It's okay that you don't know everything about this book. You're still new in your faith. I don't know everything about this book. I'm trying my best. I learn new things every day going through this, you know? You're actually, as you get older and more mature in the faith, you realize how little you know. The, the danger, actually, is that at this stage of your life, after Jesus has, you know, um, done a really cool thing in your life, uh, you, the temptation will be, and this is so tricky, so watch out, right? The temptation will be, you've experienced some victory, you've experienced some joy, you've experienced some newness of life, things are starting to work out for you, and you will be tempted to bring back your old worldview into your new worldview. You would be tempted to bring your orphan spirit to replace your identity as a son because you don't understand your identity as a son fully. So you'll bring back, you'll draw on your orphan spirit. You don't understand. And so uh, you'll start to bring back your old worldview. Just tug it in there a little bit, right? This is called syncretism, the mixing of Christianity and another worldview. Is the mixing of religions together. All religions are the same. It's okay, right? It's the mixing of things. I'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then I'll do my own thing, right? It's called syncretism, and it has historically not been good for God's people. We'll worship God, but we'll also make child sacrifice over there. We'll worship God, but we'll also worship uh, this other God so we can have sex with the prostitutes in their temple. We'll worship God, but we'll also right? It's not good. You cannot bring those two together. So start with humility. It's so easy to just coast by and think that you'll be okay by just going to church. But the scripture needs to be informing your foundation, strengthening your foundation all the time, or else when trials come, this person bugs you a little bit or, you know, you get sick or you lose the job. You just get taken out. You don't know how to process it. Because man does not live on bread alone, but the very words that come from the mouth of God. Jesus is that word. Jesus is that word. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the most integrated human being that's ever lived because he was the God-man who uh, did not consider equality with God something to be held onto. And so he uh, took on flesh, the form of a servant, and ultimately died in our place for our sins, for our disintegration, Jesus had perfect integration so that we could be integrated back into the Father. So we worship that crucified Christ. His body was torn apart so that our 
whole being could be put back together. That's the God we worship. So how can we become friends in worship yourself? How do you become just a worshiper in yourself? How can you create a culture of worship for yourself? How do you create a culture of worship in your family, whether that's your biological family or your, your married family uh, <clears throat> or the family of God, right? In your apartment building, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your small group, in your next church. How can we become friends together? Let's ask ourselves that. Let's have a good conversation together as R3s. How do we shift the culture? How do we submit ourselves to the word? How do we put the word over instead of ourselves over the word? Let's figure it out. Let's discuss it because this will be something that changes everything. And we'll find more, out more about that next week. Love you guys. We'll see you soon. Have a good one.